The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friday, I want to invite you to take your Bibles tonight and return to Revelation chapter number 6, and uh, we'll move right along with things as we uh, jump in tonight, of course. I do want to do some recap, though, so that we're all on the same page, and as we have every week since uh, at least chapter 1 and verse number 19, review this outline that the Lord gave to John and how he was to write about these things as uh, things progress and as he saw these visions and encountered all that he encountered of course, he said, uh, the Lord told him to write about the things he saw, and as uh, we've studied, we know that those are the events found in chapter number one, while he's there on the Isle of Patmos and his interaction with the Lord Jesus himself. Then he's told to write about the things that are, and we, of course, come to the conclusion that those cover uh, the events in chapters two and three, not only the seven literal churches of Asia Minor of that time, but also the prophetic meanings of that, of the church age in which we are currently even still in. And then, of course, as we moved into chapter number four, uh, we noticed that he said to write about the things that are after these things or after this, and that's how exa- exactly how chapter four opens up with verse number one, and after these things, after this, uh, we find that uh, it's found there, and that's speaking about the events after the church age, uh, what we would know as, uh, of course, the uh, tribulation, and this isn't working, Brother Robert, all of a sudden. And there we go. And uh, so that candy-striped part at the end is uh, the events of the tribulation as we look at it on a grand scale on uh, this, this graphic of the timeline. Uh, it began with the, the age of the Gentiles, began with, of course, Babylon, and uh, then progressed through the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks, and then uh, b- this last age, part of the age, began with the Roman Empire and has splintered off into what we know as the world today. Eventually, though, there will be 10 kings that will rule the entirety of the earth, and out of those 10 ca- kings will come uh, one uh, that will gain much power and, uh, and, uh, and uh, control all of the known world, and he'll take, of course, three of those kings. We've spoken about those things through, the, through our studies through the book of Daniel, but Daniel calls it his 70 weeks as he saw that vision. And uh, 69 of those weeks, or 69 sets of seven years, have already been accomplished, and we only have one more set of seven years left, and uh, that's going to be the time of the tribulation period. But as you see there, there's been a pause after 60 uh, uh, of those weeks, those, uh, those 69 weeks had been done. And uh, how is that going to be taken? How is that going to be? Uh, how is that done? Uh, how is that even possible when we still have a pause? Uh, we're still going on. And we liken that, of course, to that of a, a timeout or uh, a free throw sh- uh, shots in a basketball game. And we won't belabor that point here tonight. But here, as we look at the back end of things, this, uh, t- the times that are, including the church age and the things after for Israel, uh, that begins the tribulation as the covenant is made, but this is only after the church is resurrected or the church is raptured out. And uh, all of the events after that that we're seeing as Jesus is breaking the seals on the scroll uh, is, uh, uh, is something's happening. 
And so thus far, we've looked at a few of those things going on, but uh, the first part of tribulation is chapters 6 through 9, that middle part is chapters 10 through 15, and then 16 through 19 is the latter part of uh, tribulation, and there's just uh, some information about what each part holds, and we will cover each of them as we move along, of course, as we've discussed already. But uh, as we got into here to chapter number six, we saw these seals starting to break off the scrolls, this book, as it said, uh, there in uh, chapter number five that Jesus had taken from the hands of God, the Father himself, who sat on the throne. And uh, the, the problem was, who's going to open the book? Who's going to be able to uh, open this scroll up and, uh, and, and take care of the things that are found there? And, and uh, they were distraught because it seemed as if no man could. And then all of a sudden, one said, look, there's the, there's the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. And He is worthy. That's how the uh, end of chapter 5, uh, it, it, how it ends, the praises for Jesus for being able to open the scroll. Then chapter 6 begins the events of Him opening the scroll. And as we said, with every, tie, every scroll that is broken open, then uh, an event takes place here on this earth. So with the first scroll, we found that a white horse came on the scene and it had a rider who came in conquering and to conquer, as we read there in those first few verses of chapter 6. And we said that rider is the Antichrist and, and uh, the cause and effect of the relationship of the Antichrist's rise to power is actual destruction and demise upon, for those upon the world in the world. And so the first seal opens up and the angel says, come and see. And so John's in the heavenly throne room right? And, uh, and he says, so the angel says, come and see as the uh, scroll is opened up and John peeks down into the world, onto the earth and sees what is taking place and sees this uh, white horse and the Antichrist on it. And he has, uh, of course, the bow in his hand and he's ultimately given a crown. And that's the beginning of his rise to power after that um, peace treaty uh, had been brokered and after uh, the covenant had been made to allow the, uh, the Jewish people to be able to begin temple worship and sacrifice again. And then he makes his way back into the realm of, of heaven, the heavenly throne room, and Jesus breaks open the second seal. And as the second seal is broken open, the angel says, come and see. And as he peers down into, uh, onto the earth, he sees the Antichrist on a red horse and bringing with him war and bloodshed as we find that sword is in his hand, as it says there uh, at the end of uh, verse number four. Then uh, John's back in the heavenly throne room again, and the, four, the third seal is broken open, and the angel says again, come and see, and uh, he looks down, he sees a black horse, and we find uh, with that the uh, Antichrist, his, his uh, career, if you may, just escalating, climbing that ladder, and as he sees it, he has the pair of balances in his hands, and he sees how much the, uh, the, the wheat and, uh, and uh, all of that is going to cost, and that drives up inflation and an economic collapse. And then there's that uh, pale horse, that uh, the 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 uh, last horse that when that fourth seal is open, and all of the results of the war and the extreme inflation and the cost of everything is bringing famine and pestilence, and the wild beasts begin to wreak havoc and and widespread death upon the earth. Even as uh, we have looked at those things in verses seven and uh, verse number seven, verse number eight. 
Uh, now tonight, I'd like you to look at verses 9, and we'll look through verse number 17, and we'll endeavor to conclude chapter 6 tonight. And so uh, just uh, without any further ado, let's look at verse number 9 and jump right into it. And he says, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were the uh, souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren uh, that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he uh, had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth and of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven uh, departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island uh, were moved out of their places." And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and don't miss this phrase, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Our Father... We thank you tonight again for the opportunity to gather in your house and for everything that is taking place here, for uh, our children's classes that are taking place, for discipleship, for those in here that are still, uh, that are, we're just striving to uh, let your spirit guide us in learning about this book of Revelation, for our youth department that is meeting. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for a place where we could gather together, a place that is focused on you, a place that desires nothing more than to be able to accomplish your work and your will and to draw closer to you through it. And Lord, I ask now that you give me the word to speak as I deliver this message here tonight and that uh, you would be honored and glorified through everything that is said and done and accomplished. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this might be one of the most iconic but also most unexpected phrases in the entire Bible. Found there in verse number 16, the last phrase, the last wording there in verse number 16, and from the wrath of the what church? Lamb. Wrath of the Lamb. That statement almost sounds contradictory. It almost sounds paradoxical. It's incredible, no doubt. The wrath of the Lamb. A Lamb by its nature is not forceful. A Lamb by its nature is not ravaging. A ram by its nature is actually gentle, meek, passive. Um, actually, I would have to gather or believe that few animals are any more or less threatening or even intimidating than a little lamb itself, right? And yet, we have here in the scripture, it says we, something we must consider, we must contemplate. That the people on the earth, the people that are experiencing these judgments that are unfolding, are experiencing the wrath of the Lamb. Now in chapter number 5, as we already studied through it, we were introduced to the Lamb, to this Lamb I should say. It was the Lamb that was slaughtered, but now is standing. We found that in chapter 5 and verse number 6. 
Uh, there we also discovered that this lamb is considered to be a lion at the same time, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, as chapter 5 and verse 5 tells us. So this lamb is lion-like, and the, this lion is lamb-like, as we've looked at chapter 5 already. But in judgment, he pours out his wrath, he pours out his uh, fury on a sinful and a rebellious uh, humanity that had defiantly rejected his grace, and they, he offered forgiveness, yet they still rejected it. And um, now, to be sure, we understand that Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we know that Jesus is as most liberal theologians would try to argue, well, if he's a wrathful God, then how is he meek and merciful? And well, we understand he's all of those things as well. That's what makes him God, my friends, because the fact that he is God, he's perfect in all of his ways. So he's perfect in his holiness, which means that he's perfect in his, uh, in, in, in his humility. He's perfect in his gentleness. He's perfect in his compassion, but he's also still perfect in his wrath, and he's still perfect in his judgment. And so Scripture reveals a uh, Jesus who twice cleanses the temple in Matthew 21 and John chapter 2, who would angrily uh, condemn the hypocrites and the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. We find him in different places calling them serpents and, and a brood of vipers and uh, saying that uh, there was eternal fire that would come and judgment that would happen. And so we understand that, yes, Jesus is gentle. He says, come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We understand that. But at the same time, in his perfection, he's still a God of judgment. He wouldn't be perfect otherwise. And so a balanced view of the Savior that is portrayed by Scripture is an absolute must. And here tonight in our chapter of chapter 6, we see the wrath that will be poured out uh, as this fifth and sixth seal is broken open. In Revelation, the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God, is a recurring theme. We find it in, in chapter 11, verse 18, chapter 14, verse number 10, chapter 16, verse number 19, chapter 19, verse number 15. And as Warren Wiersbe would put it, he said, and he puts this theme into perspective, he said, If men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there is no way for them to escape the wrath of God. And as those days, these days of uh, the, these final days begin to approach, and then ultimately they, they, uh, they arrive, how, wh what should we know and how should we prepare? I understand we're not going to be a part of this, but I think some beginning stages of some of these things even might be felt before the church is raptured out, as we've already discussed these birthing pains, or, uh, and so on and so forth. And so as we consider that tonight, I want to just take two principles that we know will definitely be true for uh, the believers and those on earth here in uh, the tribulation time and some truths that we can even apply to our lives here today. Number one, I want you to notice this, that the faithful can anticipate suffering. That's an encouraging statement for the preacher tonight, right? But the truth is this, that the faithful can anticipate suffering, especially when it comes to these times in the tribulation period. Notice verse number 9. 
And we had opened the fifth seal. It says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood, uh, our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should, should rest yet for a little, re, a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now this fifth, this fifth seal is opened. We've already seen four as we've studied in the past few weeks. And, uh, but as this fifth seal is opened, it breaks the pattern, pattern of the first four entirely. Remember the first one, we saw a rider on a horse. And uh, then the second one, we saw that rider on another horse. And the third one, a rider on a horse. And the fourth one, a rider on a horse. And now this fifth seal is open, and it's not even exactly the same as that uh, process as we've seen in the first four. In, and, and in fact, we know the pattern has been changed, not only because we don't see a horse, but also, uh, the first four seals, we find that John was said to come and see, come and look at the events that are taking place on earth. But here in verse number nine, we say, it says, it says when he, the fifth seal was open, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. So it's not a, a, an invitation to come and see what's happening on earth. John's actually in the heavenly throne room still again at this time. And so the pattern has completely been changed. Instead of looking down on earth, his attention remains on the scene in heaven. And John describes an altar. Uh, of course, an altar is a place of uh, significance in the temple. It was a place of sacrifice. So the presence of an altar in heaven tells us that this, this altar is ultimately a place of sacrifice. Of course, we understand that. And in heaven, the only place of sacrifice is the heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this, and it tells us that Christ is the high priest proceeding over the heavenly tabernacle, and His blood was the ultimate sacrifice for all men. Under the altar, though, we find here in verse number 9, John sees... The souls of martyrs. Look at it in verse number 9. I saw under, under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for their testimony which they held. The reason why these souls are there in heaven and under the altar, the reason why they are no longer alive is because they've been martyred for their faith. So we all follow along with, with the, the progression here tonight. They were slain because of their adherence to the Word of God and their testimony of faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, these were human beings who had died, and they're now in heaven, but there's one thing we must conclude, or, or I mean, if we're going to take it the, the Scripture literally and follow along with what is being said here, we have to conclude that um, these souls that are underneath the altar had been killed after the rapture. Because we've already discussed that those that are believers before the tribulation are raptured, and at that resurrection they receive that new body, as we already discussed in previous weeks as well. And here, these individuals underneath the altar, John refers to them as souls. He sees only their souls. 
And so they're underneath the altar, and therefore they must have been slain during the tribulation themselves. So why do we call martyrs who die after the, uh, after the rapture? Well, most people would call them tribulation saints or tribulation martyrs. But we notice that they were slain, it says first off in verse number 9, that uh, they were slain for the word of God. So here they were faithful. And they were faithful particularly to the Word of God. Now, something we can take from that tonight is for you and I that we ought to be faithful as well to the Word of God. If here we have individuals who are living in these last days, if we have individuals who are, are, are amongst, I mean, complete chaos and wickedness and evil, and they can stay faithful to the Word of God, here we are in 2022 in America. Hello, Christian. In America, I think we too can still remain faithful to the Word of God. We're, we're, we're not facing any type of persecution that this group that we're talking about here tonight would have, uh, have experienced. But how quickly is the American Christian so easily able, just deciding to tuck tail and run and to bend on their convictions of Scripture? Now, I'm not talking about bending on preferences. I'm talking about bending on literal truths of the Word of God, who Jesus is, the virgin birth of Christ, and so on and so forth, how one is saved. These are things that they're, they, they can't be negotiated. These are things we must hold true. And so when we have these things taking place and they're standing before us and we are so easy to be tossed about, as Paul would say, with every wind of doctrine, then we must understand that if there were those in that day that could be faithful for the word, you and I can remain faithful still today. The Bible says that they were killed because of the word of God and also because they maintained their testimony. They are martyred for their faith. So clearly these were believers, and the fact that they're in heaven has to testify to that because they would not be in heaven otherwise. But we know that all believers were removed from earth when Jesus came for the church at the rapture or resurrection. So all of this information produces a new mystery for us as well tonight. So like, how is this even true? And how is this to be the case? We're going to discuss this in just a moment, uh, a little more in depth. But first, we see that they were, fa they were faithful to the word of God, and that cost them their life. But they were also, it says in verse number 9, not only faithful to the word of God, but they were also faithful in the testimony in which they held. So we too can be faithful in our witness for God. If a, if a, if a group of people who are living in these final days in great evil and turmoil can not just stay faithful to the word of God, it's one thing to say, I believe line upon line, precept upon precept, this is what the Word of God says, and lock ourselves in our room and never discuss it. But it's a whole other uh, scenario and situation when we're confronted by how we believe, when we are confronted by our lifestyle that would portray what we believe as well. And that's a totally different story. And here they are in the face of great persecution, still willing not only to believe the truth, but live the truth as well. 
And so finally, these souls we find are asking, as in verses 10 and 11, they cry out and they're asking for justice for the deaths that they've encountered. So they're obviously victims of injustice while they were here on earth during that tribulation time. Yet they are told that their justice is going to have to wait a minute. It's going to have to wait a little while. Because look at what verse number 11 says. White robes were given to every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So that means that these are just merely the first of a major, a larger group of people that will be martyred, and many more are going to experience this same end before everything is said and done. So taking these facts together, we can make several conclusions uh, concerning these souls. First off, let me say this, that these souls were believers on earth, Otherwise, they wouldn't be in heaven following their death. We've already discussed that to an extent. That means that new faith then has arrived upon the earth in the days and weeks following the church's removal. New believers have come to be here on earth during the tribulation after the church has already been raptured out. That leaves us wondering, though, how faith can come back to earth, especially since there's no believers to evangelize, especially that the one that was restraining the Antichrist from even taking reign, that Holy Spirit, had left when the uh, church left as well. So how is this all taking place? Secondly, though, we understand that these believers on earth during the tribulation will be targets for major persecution, even to, even to death. So we could put it pretty simply that being a Christian in these last years is dangerous for life. We see things on different uh, packaging, cigarettes and things like that, health warnings. It's like, I mean, we might as well just put it out there for any new believers that are in tribulation. It's a major health warning because they're going to be a target of persecution. Uh, and so we've already seen here in chapter 6 that there's some that have been already been killed, and, and uh, they're standing before God asking for, uh, uh, for, uh, for justice on their death. But because they're told to rest and wait, uh, we understand that there's going to be more that will be killed. There's, this is just first a, 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 a small number of a very large number that will be killed for the same reason. And we discussed what we would call them. We would call them tribulation saints. And so uh, we will continue to reference that throughout the rest of this study. But as uh, we, we understand, we find that um, it says here in verse number 10, 11, it says we're given, uh, the white robes were given unto them. And it said unto them that there should rest for a season until their fellow servants and also their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. What is, why, why is that? How do we know that's even going to be true outside of this statement? Well, if we go back to Daniel 7, as we've already studied, Daniel 7 and verses 24 through 27, Daniel wrote this. He said, and the ten horns out of the ten kingdoms. Uh, are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be uh, diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, 
and shall, uh, shall wear out the saints. There's, there's, here's the punishment, the persecution. Shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end, and the kingdom and dominion and the, uh, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So the according to D Daniel's prophecy, the persecution of the saints really doesn't ramp up until the last three and a half years of tribulation, that times and times and dividing of times, is that's what it's speaking about as we discussed when we studied Daniel as well. So the fact that it's not going to ramp up until then again, helps us to conclude that this is just the beginnings of what the entire time of tribulation would be like for anyone who would claim Christ. So this seal uh, judgment represents death uh, of believers in the tribulation overall. So as this seal was opened, an event took place on earth, a, a segment of time. As a second seal was open. The, the, the years are progressing. Time is progressing. The Antichrist is getting stronger, and it represented a specific period of time as it unfolded. Same with the third, same with the fourth. But we put this fifth seal underneath instead of as in a timeline, but underneath because the martyrdom of believers during the tribulation will be an extent of the entirety of the tribulation period not just for a period of time. So this seal provides a contrast to the fourth seal judgments. In the fourth judgments, death came to the unbelieving world. And we, of course, know that because the unbelievers, of course, were sent to hell as we saw that hell and uh, death and hell were following that fourth horse and so on and so forth. And so it's in contrast in the fact that if a person were to think, well, I see all these judgments, and the judgments are falling upon them, and the, and the hor most horrible is hell, of course, and so, but that's just for the unbelievers. So if I am a believer during that time, I'll be okay. Here we find that Jesus is explaining that, no, judgment, this, this judgment, this tribulation is going to affect everyone. Even believers are going to be persecuted and put to death. And so uh, although the circumstances are different to an extent for, both, for each group, the unbeliever goes to hell, the, of course the believer uh, will end up in the presence of God, the cause is the same. Uh, the attack and the all-out war of the Antichrist. What brought the death, widespread death of unbelievers? The war that the Antichrist brought, the inflation that he brought, and so all the results of that. What brings the death of believers during this time? The persecution the Antichrist brings. So the cause is, this, is all the same. But what affects that cause? The seals that Jesus opens. Are you following along with me here tonight? Everything that is taking place is still in God's hands and still in his control. So... The, we, we, we find all this taking place, we're reading about it, but I know that there's folks in here tonight that are scratching their heads, and you're saying, how can this be true? Because I've always heard 
You know, like Thessalonians, they'll be given a, a strong delusion, and they won't believe, and they'll believe a lie, and I've always heard that there will be nobody saved, no one saved in the tribulation. So how can any of this be true? And uh, we're going to discuss some of those things as we move along here tonight and throughout the rest of these weeks as well. So don't get too agitated with me yet, okay? Because we're going we're gonna to explain this, but I want to progress through to get a proper uh, understanding as we go along. So we, we are stating then that what we're reading here in verses 9, 10, and 11 are tribulation saints, tribulation martyrs. But if the church has gone and there's no witnesses, if the Spirit had gone at least for a, time, a period of time, how is it that these are coming to faith? How are people even knowing about Christ? And we will find that answer uh, a little more uh, impactfully as we move into chapter 7, which we pray we'll get to next week for sure, and then into chapter number 11 as well later on. But quickly as we move on tonight, first off we said, the faithful can anticipate suffering. Now, we're, we as believers today will not experience the suffering that anyone will face in the tribulation. We've clearly laid that out by Scripture. We know that. But can I say that uh, I believe if we're going to stay faithful, especially on the heels of these last days, that there will be times that the believer will suffer. Not to that extent, but there will be times. So let's remain faithful in the face of all those things. Then secondly, before we close tonight, we also see the Father who all can see. Now today, I believe that all of creation, that there's no one, as Romans 1 tells us, that there's no one in this world, it doesn't matter if they've heard the name of Jesus or not, that there's no one in this world that is without excuse because all creation testifies of the existence of God. So just as today, we know that all can see that there is a God, no doubt. But there's going to come a time here in this tribulation, as we're going to read through the rest of these verses, that it's going to be undeniable that God's hand is in all of this. See, we'll take time to read verses 12 through 17 right now. We'll pick them up as we go along again. We've already read them once. But the first, for the first time, we see a sealed judgment resulting in what we could say is clearly supernatural changes on earth, okay? We, uh, let me go back to the slide here. We see the first seal brought the white horse and the man on it. It represents the Antichrist coming onto the scene. We've seen rulers come and go. So the fact that this man comes on the scene in power isn't necessarily going to be seen as supernatural. It's going to be amazing because of what he's able to do, but it's not going to be outright seen as supernatural. Of course, we're, we, our, our country even is in war as we speak uh, to an extent, right? And we've seen wars in our, in our history. and so, so that's not necessarily going to be considered supernatural in and of itself either. Uh, high inflation, let's just be honest, all right? We've experienced that. Has there been places in the world that have seen great famine and, and great sickness and have we heard about people being attacked by wild animals? And of course, these, so, all, so far, these things in and of themselves aren't going to be clearly noted as supernaturally ignited or supernatur supernaturally started. Of course, people, Christians are being persecuted in our world today even. Believers are being put to death because, just for their faith. 
And so even the fifth seal isn't necessarily going to be seen as something supernatural. But now for the first time, as these seals are broken open, we are going to see events unfolding that are undeniably supernatural in how they're coming to be accomplished. And, in, and, so, and increasingly, these judgments that God bring to earth are going to take on the supernatural form. There will be a, su- a series of unimaginable, cataclysmic upheavals of nature. The, 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 the physical earth and heavens will be shaken. Like the Old Testament prophets said, these uh, events will be unlike anything that has ever come before them. But it's important to realize that in the very beginning stages of tribulation, the world will not recognize all of these things, as I mentioned, as supernatural. Only until God kind of just kicks open the door and makes himself mightily known. Notice verse number 12, that this judgment is initiated by God. Verse number 12, it says, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. So the sixth seal now brings earthquakes and devastation to the face of the earth. Uh, Deadly objects are going to fall from the sky, and disturbances to the sun, moon, and stars. The judgments of tribulation, they come kind of in three waves. At the end of each wave, we see the same uh, climatic series of events, if you may. Some of these events will, be, will resemble things that even take place today, but they're going to be on such a major, a, such a, a catastrophic scale that it's going to be undeniable that God's in control of this. Uh, but we also notice the cosmic scope of this, uh, of this judgment in verses 13 and 14. It says, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Even as the fig tree casteth her untimely figs, and she, when she is shaken by a mighty wind, the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And so we see these series of judgments starting unto, uh, to unfold, and besides the earthquakes, and besides all that has taken place with the sun and the stars and all of that, uh, we, we see that stars are falling from heaven. Let, let's just take some time and to consider what is being said here. In verse number 12, look at it. It says, there were great earthquakes. Okay, so that's going to be pretty crazy, no doubt. But then it says, the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. Now, this can't be just a simple eclipse. For an eclipse would be expected and unthreatening and therefore not a judgment. But the fact that the sun became black, it's going to be as if it were pitch black. If like someone walked back and turned out all the lights. If someone were walking into this closet over here and flipped the main breaker and it went, everything went out, it's going to be pitch black in here. And that's how it's going to be in those last, when this seal is broken open, that the lights are going to go out. I mean, literally, if you want to put it that way. But notice what the Bible also says. And the moon became as blood. Now, interesting, think about it with me. The moon does not produce light of itself. It reflects the sun. So the fact that the moon is producing any glow, and it's a different color in that fact, in red, when there is no sun to produce the light for it to reflect, that's supernatural. That's unavoidably supernatural as well. We find also that the Bible says in uh, verse number 13, and the stars fell, uh, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. 
as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she sh- so it's like this it says the fig tree and it's got its figs on there and it was they weren't quite ripe they weren't ready to come off but this great wind blows off, and it's shaking the tree and you can just see them falling like uh, like raindrops out of the tree right he says that's how the stars of heaven are going to fall now here's the here's what we know about stars though that makes me believe we can't take this as a super literal interpretation because stars are suns and of themselves right Am I correct in stating that? A sun could not land on this earth and the earth still survive, just one. And the Bible says multiple of these stars are going to be falling on it. So it's not, we can't take it as literal stars in that way or else the earth couldn't survive. Nor can we take it super figuratively as we looked at chapter number one where we saw the stars were angels either because the context is that of heavens and earth and celestial things, right? So I have to come to the conclusion that this must be a more layman's term of a falling star. And if we were to think of a star falling from the sky in our terms today, what would we consider that to be? A meteor, right, correct. And so that's what I believe is happening here, is uh, meteors are coming down in waves and striking the earth. Could you imagine if a meteor shower were to hit not just a region of the earth, but the entirety of the earth, and it just kept on coming, kept on coming. The destruction on top of earthquakes, on top of, of, of sheer blackness, I mean, it would just, it would be terrifying, no doubt. Next, uh, and so we find here then that uh, in verse number 14, it says that the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and, and so pretty much what is being said is, is the, the God is opening up the skies, and He's revealing His might, He's revealing His power. And it says that because of all of this that is taking place, that every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Now, a movement of an island and a mountain, even in the shortest of distances, would utterly obliterate everything on it or near it. I mean, imagine, imagine being at the beach, a child has built a, a tremendous sandcastle, and they go over and say, I don't like it right here, I just want to move it over one inch. Could you imagine them trying to push that sandcastle over just one inch? What's going to happen to the sandcastle? It's going to fall over. The same thing would happen if that were to take place, if mountains were to be moved, and, and islands were to be moved as well. And so, Scientists actually have tried to understand what would happen if the sun suddenly stopped shining and, uh, and the effects that we read here were to actually take place. They have concluded that the earth's temperature, if the sun were to stop shining completely, the earth's temperature would plunge in a matter of just days to 100 degrees below zero. A plunging temperature at the earth's surface would then lead to hurricane-force winds around the planet. The atmosphere would then undergo uh, unpredictable and violent changes as temperature variations swing wildly. As sudden cooling on the Earth's surface takes place, it would begin to draw the heat from the Earth's core to the surface, which no doubt would probably result in more earthquakes, the release of magma, and so on and so forth. Meanwhile, those who are still on this Earth they're, still, they're trying to find some place to, find, to seek shelter. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 15. Everyone, from the richest to the poorest, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, 
the mighty men, even the bondmen, the slaves, every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. So here's what's taking place. All of this is unfolding and, and uh, I mean, the temperatures are plunging and they have no place for warmth and the, 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 the drastic cold on the earth's surface is bringing some of the heat from the core up. And so the only place that's warm is to go down into the mountains and down into the caves and down into the earth. Well, into the earth, if volcanic activity is taking place from these places, that puts you in a, in a bad predicament. If the earth is quaking when you're going into the mountains, that puts you into a scary predicament as well. But all of this is taking place, and they're just trying to find some relief until the point where they say, this is too much for me to handle. And you look at verse number 16 and said, to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. In response to all of these events, humanity finally begins to understand what is happening. They finally begin to understand that everything that is unfolding is at the hands of an almighty God. The one who sits on the throne. And, we, and it says at the last part of that, it says uh, in verse number 17, that great day of his wrath has come. Who shall, who's able to stand? Well, if you wanted to write in your Bible, you could put no one. That's the answer. But they're trying to find relief. They're trying to find a way of escape. But before we close tonight, I want you to notice that phrase that I mentioned at the very begin, at the very beginning of the message. And uh, the last phrase in verse number 16, it says that they were trying to escape from the face of the one that sits on the throne. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that the moon going black and earthquakes and meteorites and, and uh, all that has taken place in the blood, the blood red moon, it does not take a rocket scientist to come to the conclusion to say, this is the hands of an, of an angry God. But notice who they recognize this God to be, that this is the wrath of the Lamb. How are a bunch of unbelievers... How is it that a bunch of people that don't know Christ and there's, no, there's seemingly no witnesses because the church is gone now, how is it that they recognize that it's Jesus that is, is making all this to unfold? That's a very specific understanding. And then must suggest that someone had explained it to them. Someone who knows that Jesus is Lord. And that this is Jesus who's doing it. So to help answer our question just at the, at the onset, before we get into the next week, how is it that there are tribulation martyrs, as we read here in chapter number six? Well, because no doubt these events that are unfolding definitely portray that it, God is at work. And even those that don't believe are recognizing that this God is not Buddha, that this God is not some false idol, but this God is Jesus, the Lamb. So how do they know that? We're going to get into more of that next week. But we're asking the question, who is explaining these events to the world? And who is explaining about Jesus, especially since the church has been removed? So John has been writing since, uh, the, since chap the beginning of chapter 6. 
has been writing since the beginning of chapter 5 about the scroll with seals, and then from the beginning of chapter 6 of these seals being broken open, we've seen six of them broke open and unfold. But now as we move into chapter 7, John takes a pause from describing the devastation of the judgments on earth to be able to answer some of these questions that we've brought up here tonight. We're going to pause here, and we'll have to answer those next week. Our Father, we do thank you for this evening. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. ask now that you would be honored and glorified through our studies, and that you hear our requests now tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go back. I, I missed one slide here. As we were do, So the first uh, seal is the white horse, the second, the red horse, third, black horse, the uh, fourth, the ashen or, or pale horse. And then this fifth seal here, the martyrdom that we have discussed, the sixth seal brings these supernatural calamities, and uh, we will get into the answering of those questions that we had here tonight, as I said, next week. If you have a prayer request card that has not yet been turned in, hold it up high, and uh, we'll grab it, Brother Matt, we'll grab it, I should say, as he makes his way up with the new ones here this evening. Let me uh, share these, and you write them down, and then, of course, uh, make a matter of uh, prayer. Brother Ed Wilhelm is asking prayer tonight. He believes he has a, a sinus infection. Also, he has a tooth extraction on uh, January 26th in the afternoon, so be in prayer for that. Um, he has a, a stress test on February the 2nd as well that morning. And so please be in prayer for him during those times and those procedures. And then he's asking prayer also because Miss Sandy's not feeling well tonight. And so be in prayer for her. Brother Titus is asking prayer. His uncle Charles Simonetti is uh, refusing to eat and is expected to pass into uh, glory soon. He has accepted Christ. So please uh, pray for a uh, early passing. I'm sorry. A easy passing, sorry, and, uh, and for comfort for the family as well during this time. Uh, Ed Richards II is asking uh, prayer um, for a, a classmate of his when he was in Bible college, Tim Anger. Uh, he had a stroke um, followed by a, a ruptured aneurysm and a heart attack, and uh, so he's in ICU in Pennsylvania. Um, he is a Christian, um, sorry, he was a Christian, he is a Christian school principal there, and so please be in prayer for he and his family and for the school during this time. Miss Juanita is asking prayer for uh, John Rolston uh, for his health. Also be in prayer for Kyle as he'll be starting a new job on Monday, and so we praise the Lord that uh, the Lord opened those doors for him, and uh, that is her praise tonight that uh, Kyle was able to get that job and thankful for the prayers. Also praising the Lord that her doctor appointments, uh, doctor's appointment went well. Uh, Miss Tammy's asking prayer for Daisy Gonzalez, uh, who is uh, sick and unable to be at church tonight, so keep her in your prayers, please. Brother Brandon and uh, Miss Jessica are asking a prayer. They submitted an application for a new, a new home, and uh, so be in prayer with them that it would be approved and that they could move in quickly, so keep that uh, matter of prayer for them and with them, please. And then Jeff, T Jeff Tyler's asking prayer tonight. Patricia's having a problem with one of her eyes, which is affecting her vision. So please pray that it is able to be stabilized and does not get any worse. And so please keep Miss Patricia in your prayers concerning that problem with her eyes. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight, and you're welcome to find yourself a prayer partner if you'd like, and let's pray for as long or as for as little as you'd like here tonight, but we'll be dismissed when we're finished. Just remember those who are still in here praying as you dismiss as to not to disturb them. Yes, Brother Ed. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Um, also, as you are finishing up, um, Brother Ed's got a piano. It's not like the heavy size of a regular piano. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's gonna be lighter than that one, and we could use a few guys to help us move it into the annex. And uh, so as you dismiss, if you'd remember that, we could definitely use your help with that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer now.